would you, would you pray with me as we get ready to minister from his word? Father, we just invite you again into our midst. Would you come and be with us today? Would you sit with us? Pour out your care for us. Would you please minister in this hour to our hearts? Would you minister to Pastor Bob and Carolyn this morning, Lord? And to Passion Church, to your beautiful bride. Lord, I just pray that that your word would be on my lips, that you would be glorified today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I understand that you're talking about some of the core beliefs of the church. From the Nicene Creed, he started a series, This We Believe. And this week, we get to talk about Jesus. Our bridegroom, our king, and uh, I just I don't I don't take that lightly. I know the Nicene Creed kind of has four major themes. Uh, it talks about God's kingdom, Jesus, salvation, and power. And I know last week uh, you covered God's kingdom, which is um, his sovereign his sovereignty, his right to rule and reign. It's the realm over which he reigns, which is all of creation, because he made it, it's his. But also, it's the invitation he extends to us to participate with him. And you can see this in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, where he tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it, to bring it into the kingdom. But he didn't leave it alone there when Jesus came to redeem what was lost in the garden. He gave us the same commission before he went back to be with his father. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. God gave me his right, his royal power. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What a great promise. So today, we're going to be looking at part two of that Nicene Creed, Jesus himself. And we're going to see how Jesus is God. It's important for us to understand this. And and so I want to read uh, the part of the creed that's just about Jesus, because that's what we're going to focus on today. And, And it starts out at the beginning, we believe, and then... It reads like this. We believe in, our, in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, 
begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made. For us and our salvation, he came down from heaven, he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary, and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. So why did we have the creed? Because it sounds like just what's in the Bible, right? But see, in the early years of the church, in the first centuries, the majority of people, they lived in an oral culture. They were not literate the way that we are today. And so great uh, amount of time was dedicated to memorizing things. And the truth is not everybody had scriptures available to them. It was expensive to get scripture. It was expensive to hire someone who actually knew how to write, who could read what was written and copy it accurately and correctly so that it could be distributed. And, and you think the, the, the believers, the message of the gospel was spreading all over the known world. So what the the early church fathers found after that apostolic age, after the apostles had passed away, after they had left a record behind them, they found that a lot of people were being distracted by other popular philosophy. Hmm. Sounds familiar. Hmm. Maybe we know what that's like today. So this isn't a new problem. And what they did is they're like, okay, since... Since most of what we do in our worship is, is we help people memorize some passages of scripture, some, some statements of belief, so that they can be firmly grounded in the word, what we're going to do is we're going to get together and we're going to decide on what's essential that we make sure people believe. Now, this happened specifically with the Nicene Creed and the, and the statement about Christ. I mean, if you look at the Nicene Creed, about 70% of it is just about Jesus, that's how important this is. And it was because there was a popular philosophy at the time. Greek philosophy. Everybody loved it. Everybody loves the most recent philosophy. I don't think anything's changed in the world. I'm sure most of you have heard of this guy, Plato. Greek philosopher, famous dude. One of his philosophies is what we, we call Platonism today. It's a, it's a dualistic belief system. It basically says everything that's good is spiritual. Everything that's bad is material. We live in all of the bad, icky stuff. We don't want to be here anymore. Let's just go to the spiritual stuff. So there's no way that God could have become material. There's no way a holy God would lower himself to do that. There's no way a holy God would step down among us 
and live like us? No, I, I just can't. He said, I can't buy it. And so Christians were kind of on the outskirts. They're like, ah, but we believe that. So none of them were invited to any of the good parties. <laughs> and then this guy came along, Arius, and a heresy sprang up in the church. It was Arianism. And what Arius did is he began to teach his congregation that really Christ just, just looked like a person. He was the image of God. He wasn't, I mean, there wasn't something real about God in the material. He, he kind of put forth this thing. As a matter of fact, he went so far as to say, not only that, I think Jesus is a creation of God. Maybe the first creation, maybe the most important creation, because by Jesus, everything was made. And this, this lined up great with Greek philosophy because Platonism teaches that there's a demiurge. The first thing created by the creator that made all the other stuff because a holy God wouldn't get his hands dirty mucking around in the garden, right? Scripture tells us differently. Uh, I'd like you to turn with me to John chapter 1. We're going to read from John chapter 1 this morning to start off. Acts 4.11 tells us that Jesus Christ as the rejected stone, the stone the builders rejected, has become God's chief cornerstone. Jesus is the linchpin of God's plan for fallen creation. Because of who he is. So let's read about Jesus the way John tells us. So John chapter 1 beginning in first verse 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those were his own, who were his own, did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Where did I? Thank you, 13. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will, but of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
John testified about him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Now there's a lot of similar language right here in the first chapter of John as there is in the Nicene Creed, especially when it talks about um, the begotten, the one and only. So why is that so important to us? Why is it important that we understand that? In this time especially, it was so important to come against that Greek philosophy and say, no, we're not going to diminish God by making his son human, just human. We're not going to diminish God by saying Jesus isn't God. We're not going to diminish the Holy One who stands above all by agreeing with popular philosophy. So, uh, begotten. Uh, John writes, uh, writes it again in John 3.16. Maybe you're familiar with this verse. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son in King James, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. So John uses this word again and again throughout his scriptures because he's trying to get it into our minds, into our hearts, that Jesus is not just like us. He's more, but he's also here with us. And what he did is significant. Um, the word that John uses is uh, monoineus, which means only, one and only, the only begotten. What John was saying is that Jesus Christ is utterly unique. He's not a creation of the Father. He was begotten by the Father. He was begotten by the Father, not made, born. But born so uniquely that we can't comprehend it. I, I, just, just think about this with me for a minute. The most holy God, the creator of all things, stepped down and became incarnate. He became enfleshed. He was born He was born, and he was born not in a palace. He was born into poverty and laid in a manger. There's nothing, no one like him. And 
he is the exact representation of the Father. This is part of his uniqueness. He's not like God. He's not the image of God like we were created to be. He is God. He is the exact representation of the Father. This is why John could write in his first chapter in verse 11 that Jesus perfectly, completely explains the Father. You want to know who God is? You want to know what he's like? Meet Jesus. He didn't distance himself from us. He came to us to be with us. This is, this is, I, I can't, I struggle with this still today, just trying to wrap my head around how unique Christ is. He's the only one who can reconnect us with the Father. We lost that connection in the garden. He's the only one who can restore it. As a matter of fact, he tells his disciples in John 14, verse 6, Thomas asked him a question and he answered him. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We can't meet God without him. And, and as for this idea that he was the first thing that was made in creation, well, John starts, starts off with just hitting that out, the, out of the park. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word, the word, logos, the word, that's Christ. When God spoke at creation... When God's voice emanated from him to create every single thing, that was Jesus. So do you want to know what the creator is like? Do you want to know what your father is like? Meet Jesus. That's where you're going to find him. That's where you're going to find the exact representation for him. And what's even better as we jump down to verse 14, in John 1:14, this word, this logos that created, that was the active agent in creating everything that exists, became flesh. The universe, the universes, I, I don't know, however many there are now. Galaxies, suns, planets, astro, everything, everything, everything. Jesus made it all. With his father, with the spirit, they were all there. That's a whole nother sermon, uh, uh, Genesis 1-1, that I could talk for a couple of hours on, actually. But um, that's, maybe that's a different day. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 tells us, uh, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So he didn't just come, the word didn't just come in flesh, but it's because of him, it's through him, it's in him that everything still exists. You're here today because Jesus exists. I'm here today because he exists. That's incredible. Jesus is the exact image of an invisible God. Maybe we can't see God because our eyes aren't open to that because we live in a fallen and broken world and we're fallen and broken people who've been redeemed. But because of that redemption, because we find ourselves in Christ, we can see the exact representation of the Father. He explained him to us. He explains God. Not all, and, and then this is the most amazing thing maybe right here. Not only is he the perfect explanation and representation of the Father, but he invites us. He invites all people to share the same intimate relationship that he shares with the Father. That's why he came, so he could make a way back for us. John 1.12 says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Just let that sink in for a minute. To those who receive him. He gave the right, the privilege, the honor, the blessing to be called his children. I'm thankful for my parents. Uh, I have the privilege of serving them uh, since I stepped away from uh, full-time ministry here at Passion. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I stepped away, so I could be uh, more free in my schedule to be able to care for uh, the medical needs uh, of my, my wife, but also my parents moved down here uh, several years ago as well. And uh, I help them out throughout the week. And, and it's a privilege to serve them. I love it. I get to learn about them now like I never knew them. But you know what's even better? We get to be children of God together. We have so much to talk about whenever we spend time together doing errands, going to doctor's appointments, whatever it is. We have the most amazing discussions driving around in the car. And most of what we talk about is the greatness of God. The glory of his son, Jesus. The fact that we get to participate in that. And, and I love the way John puts this. It's by God's power. 
He gave the right for us to be called children of God. You, you can't earn his grace. Nobody can earn his grace. Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, all, all have sinned. Me, you, everybody. And when I'm confronted with my own failings and my own brokenness, I have nowhere else to turn. It has to be to him because it's his grace that's free to me because Christ came, because Jesus was alive, was crucified, buried, and rose again, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, Dallas Willard uh, wrote this great book uh, that I enjoyed. Uh, it's called The Great Omission. You see, there's, there's a truth that, that John reveals here in this, this uh, verse. We can't earn God's grace. There's nothing you can do to earn it. But that doesn't mean that having his grace and remaining in his grace doesn't require your effort. He calls us to be obedient, to be submitted to him, to humble ourselves, to be in community, to bear one another's burdens, to be alive, not in ourselves, to be alive in Christ. You can't earn it, but you got to do something about it. You can't get his grace, but boy, repentance and a contrite heart sure brings his grace in extra measure. Because he requires our participation. It's not a one-sided relationship. We don't get to go to God and say, God, here's all my problems. Fix it, please. He says, that's great. What are you going to do about it? Well, there's nothing I can do about it. No, that's not what he tells us. He says, with Christ, nothing is impossible. That doesn't mean Christ is going to do it for us. That doesn't mean he's going to fix broken relationships, wayward children, brokenness in our own lives. He says, all right, get in Christ and let's do this together. Understanding the love of God is such an important aspect of this. It's so important that when Paul was writing to the church of Ephesians, he's, he said some interesting things to say that I want to I share with you. Ephesians chapter 3, verses uh, 14 through 19, here's Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit, in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length 
and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. You want more of God in your life? You want to be filled to the fullness of God? Paul got on his knees and cried out to God for the church in Ephesus that they would grab a hold of just one thing. The love of God. The height, the breadth, the depth, the width. How big it is. How endless it is. How remarkable it is, especially when we see it because of Jesus who perfectly represents it to us. This fullness of God that Paul is praying for, in Greek it's pleroma, the fullness of God, the full number, the full complement, the full measure, plentifulness. This gives us the idea of something like, like a sack that's bursting at the seams, a storehouse that's filled to overflowing, the love of God, you can't contain it. You can't comprehend it. But Paul was crying out for the church in Ephesus to just get a glimpse of it. If you just see Jesus. That's the good news. The good news is Jesus. It's not the message about Jesus. It's not some prayer you can pray to get fire insurance. That doesn't work, by the way. I tried that. It is Jesus. And he doesn't leave it at just... Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble at heart, and you'll find peace for your souls. When you do that, he says, all right, we've got work to do. That was what I, what I talked about at the beginning. We, we're called to restore creation with him. He commissioned us in Matthew 28 to go make disciples, to baptize people, to teach them to obey everything he commanded. That sounds like God's original plan. Wow, it's you mean he actually had a plan for everything all along? Yes, he did. And, and I, I think Paul writes about it to the church in Corinth really well. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna cover this, this passage because I think this is a significant piece of who Jesus is because when I was learning in college uh, that great Greek philosophy about drama, um, <clears throat> that was a joke. Greek philosophy. Um, Aristotle wrote in his theory of poetry and fine art that every character in a play can be discerned. You can tell who they are by everything they say and do. Sounds like a great original idea. I'm pretty sure God had it first, 
Because he showed it to us in Jesus, who's the exact representation of the Father. He told his disciples again and again, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear him speaking. That's how I want to be. And that's what he invites us into. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. Beginning in verse 17, it reads like this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's how we're kicking this off. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Amen. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we, we might become the righteousness of God in him. My broken, dirty mess of a life, he redeemed so that I could be his righteousness? Yes, that's what he's saying. Jesus came to reconcile all of us to the Father. Every time we mess up, all the time we mess up, he doesn't stop. And then he turns right around, he turns right around and he says, you too. Are you going to join me? Are you going to be an ambassador for me? Are you going to share this with your friends, your coworkers, your family? Are you going to share the hope of being reconciled to God with them? It's only through Christ that we can be reconciled. It's only when we come before him and receive the free gift from him, when we repent and we turn from our brokenness to him and we begin to live in him and through him that we're able to represent him. So, 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 so follow me. John 1.18, he says, Christ is the exact He's, he's the explanation of who the Father is. Paul writes in Corinthians, you're to be his ambassadors. You're to represent him to the world. I can't get away from the mystery of who Christ is. I can't get away from the phenomenal act of love God gave to us when he sent his son to be born of Mary 2,000 years ago. I can't get away from that. 
I can't get away that he lived in obscurity for 30 years doing the daily stuff. of life, just doing life. I can't get away from that because it's remarkable what he did. And then, and then God made him who knew no sin to be sin for me so that I could become righteous, so that I could become God's righteousness. I can't get away from it. In his book, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis writes, to be Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Because of who he is, I have hope for tomorrow. Jesus offers the church, his bride, us. He offers us the gift of freedom from sin and death. But even more astounding than that, he offers us the gift of participating with him in restoring the broken places of the world, of reconciling the world, each other, back to relationship with the Father. Passion Church, you, you have a wonderful opportunity to be an exact representation of Christ to your pastors and to this community by the grace that you extend by the love that you pour out. You see, we are forgiven and we learn forgiveness as we live out how Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive us as we forgive others. Jesus was remarkable. He is God. He is utterly unique. There is none like him. And he came for you, for me, for the whole world to bring us back into intimate relationship with the Father, to redeem what was lost in the garden. What was lost through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was redeemed through another tree when Christ hung on the cross. But that's not the end of the story because he didn't stay in the grave. That means we can't stay in the grave of our brokenness either. And when we see it, we're called to minister to it as his children. Will you pray with me? And uh, while I'm praying, I'm going to invite the prayer team to come forward. 
if you would like to talk with someone or need ministry after we're over, they'll be up at the front to meet with you. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for the gift of your son, for his life, for his death, for his resurrection. Thank you for the invitation you extended to us again in our brokenness to be reconciled to you, to be put back in right relationship to become your righteousness. Lord, I just pray where there's brokenness in our lives, would you convict us? Would you bring us to that point of repentance so that we can be reconciled with you? So that we can represent you faithfully to the world, your love and your grace that pours out without measure, that's so big and wide and deep that we can't even fully comprehend it. Lord, we just cry out for that today. Would you just let us catch a glimpse of it so that we can experience the fullness that comes from you so that we can pour it out to a lost and broken world. In your son's name I pray, amen.